Well, good morning, church. Uh, it's, uh, it's wonderful to be here uh, this morning as we come to worship together. A number of years ago, uh, I had a pastor friend of mine, have a pastor friend of mine out west, and uh, he was starting a new initiative in his church in order to engage the unique gifts of his congregation and bring them out uh, for the sharing. And one such initiative that he had was to uh, have people from the congregation come and preach. And he called this initiative Preachers from the Bleachers. I, uh, I remember thinking when he shared this on social media, I remember thinking two things. First, that's really amazing idea and uh, really clever. And number two, that I wasn't really such a big fan of the word bleachers. Because when we come and we gather as a church on Sunday and on any day, uh, we come not as observers, not as viewers, but as participants. And whether we're sitting in the pews or up here at the front or watching along online, we are all participating in some way. Our roles may look different, but we are participating. So as is true every Sunday, it is truly wonderful to come and worship together this morning. For the past six weeks, we've been journeying together through the season of Advent and of Christmas, and now our focus becomes the further revelation of God and the divine plan that we simply call Epiphany. Epiphany is a feast of the church, a feast that everyone is invited to. Not just everyone who is part of Knox Church, not just everyone who is part of the Universal Church, but literally every single person and people group that lives and breathes on this earth. Epiphany is a revelation and a celebration that the incarnation, God's coming to be with us, is good news, not just for the church, but for the world. We're all invited to embrace this good news and to participate it, even in the throes of a dark world. And in many ways, it is a dark and hurting world. We see it daily, don't we? On our streets, in the news, and even in our own hearts. During this past season of Advent, I was following the blog of someone in our city who spent decades helping those in Toronto who struggle with homelessness, poverty, PTSD, and who often also suffer with chronic addiction and mental health issues. In many of these Advent daily blog entries, he shared stories of the people he had met over the years, the horror of their experiences, and all too often their untimely end to life on this earth. These stories were raw. They were full of lament. And to put it plainly, they made me feel uncomfortable. Some readers even took offense at the nature of these stories, even though the author was pleading for the coming of Christ and incarnation by faith. But then it's hard to comprehend and understand the need for good news unless we allow ourselves to come face to face with bad news, the darkness that seems to permeate our world and which inflicts us and the people around us. If the season of Advent gives us space to consider the darkness, the lament, and the longing, then Christmas gives us cause to embrace the light, taste the hope, and experience the joy that comes with God's coming to dwell with us and among us. 
and Epiphany, a feast that we celebrate today, is an even greater cause for celebration because we are illuminated to the fact that the coming of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God is not only good news for those who would already be counted as God's people, but literally, quite literally, for everyone. We see this in the confession of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. This is something that Matthew develops here as we lead into the Beatitudes. When the Magi came to visit Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. The east here represents a faraway people from a faraway land. But they too have seen the star. The light shines for them also. The nation of Israel had in the past seen their role as a light to the nations. But by the time of Jesus' birth, the hope they held in the expected coming of the Messiah or Christ was much more localized in their oppression under Roman rule. They simply hoped for a deliverer that would defeat the Roman emperor and restore the establishment of God's people in their land. Though the coming of Jesus would bring about God's kingdom and conquering king, it all looked far different and was much greater than anyone in Israel ever imagined. God's salvation plan, though in many ways did begin with Abraham, one person, was never meant to be limited to Abraham. As God spoke to him in Genesis 17, he said, you will be the father of many nations. And so this conflict between God's plan and Israel's expectations was no surprise to John the Baptist as Matthew further develops in chapter 3, when the Pharisees and Sadducees came out to where he was baptizing. In this encounter, John scolds them at first sight. He calls them a brood of vipers. And he further dismisses their exclusive claim to being the children of Abraham, a common phrase that they like to use. He says, Do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. How quickly they forgot that Abraham himself was called by God out of the east. Because God's invitation extends to all people in all corners of the earth. So what about that kingdom? What about that good news? We know why it was good news for ancient Israel. They were oppressed by the Roman emperor and the Roman empire at large. They did need a deliverer. But why is it good for the world? Let's return then to Jesus' first recorded public address, what we call the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes that we had read for us earlier. A lot has been said and should be said about this divine teaching. We picture Jesus as he sees the crowds forming he goes up onto the mountaintop and he begins to teach. And yes, he's teaching his closest followers, the 12 disciples, but he's also teaching the crowds. He's teaching everyone that will listen. So he goes up onto that mountainside and he starts to explain what life in the kingdom of God looks like. And perhaps what is most striking about these proclamations announcing the reality and nature of God's kingdom is that they all necessitate the very presence of the divine. There is an active agency here. The people who find their home in God's kingdom are not blessed 
as we often hear the term used today. Not blessed as a result of our own ability to take care of our own wants and desires. Not blessed by a random or otherwise unknown force or fate that is nothing more than happenstance. But we are blessed by the very author, creator, and sustainer of life, the God who is with us. The poor in spirit are blessed by God because God invites such people into his kingdom. Those who mourn are blessed by God because they are comforted by God. Those who are meek are blessed by God because God gives them a share of the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed by God because they will be filled by God. Those who are merciful are blessed by God because God will show them mercy. Those who are pure in heart are blessed by God because God will reveal himself to them. Those who are peacemakers are blessed by God because God will draw them near as children. Those who are persecuted because of righteousness are blessed by God because God invites such people into his kingdom. These are not entrance requirements to get into the kingdom of God. They are gifts from God. And this too is good news because it is only by God's divine hand that we can accomplish anything at all. Isn't this the reality we know already? The world is dark. We need a light. There is no light without God's everlasting light. The good news is that the light has come. God is with us. And because God is with us, we too have become light. We could fall into the same trap as the Pharisees and Sadducees, the ancient nation of Israel fell into, that the coming of Christ is only for us. But Jesus makes clear, immediately following these Beatitudes, that this is not to be. He follows his opening proclamations about the kingdom by saying this, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before all, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It's absurd, though, isn't it? Who puts a light under a bowl? And yet we do. Even still, we are to take this light of Jesus into this dark world. I remember a time many moons ago now during my undergraduate studies at Tyndale. Uh, here in Toronto, I was walking down the hallway that connected the uh, university to the seminary. And I was struck by a mural that was on the wall of this hallway... It was a mural dedicated to the uh, life and ministry of uh, Oswald J. Smith, who was uh, a very well-known and prominent uh, uh, evangelist and minister here in Toronto, also at uh, People's Church. And one of his famous quotes was uh, up on the wall as part of that mural, and it went like this. Why should anyone hear the gospel twice before everyone has heard it once? And I was struck by this. 
I was struck by this. And as I called, as I stood there, sorry, contemplating this call to shine the light of Jesus to all corners of the earth and how important that was, I realized that this was not the world we were living in any longer. There were and are so many people on our very doorstep who have not heard the good news of the incarnation of God and what it means for us all. And it's not just young people either, quote unquote. It's their parents. This change in the religious and spiritual landscape has been present for quite a while now. But in many cases, it has been sadly left unaddressed. Maybe it's because we've been told one too many times to keep our religious beliefs to ourselves. Maybe it's also how the church has misunderstood what the good news actually is and how to share it. Sometimes our good news really does sound more like bad news when it doesn't have to. Sometimes we've exchanged the good news for a set of moral principles that we've then tried to force the world to adhere to. But in many ways, and for some absurd reason, we've put a bowl under the light, over the light. We must own that, and we must recover the good news. So how can we do that? The truth is there are countless ways to share good news. Sometimes it'll be a simple word. I have a friend uh, who on Facebook has been posting the exact same message every day for the past month. He simply says, there is hope for you today, my friend, with a scripture reference to Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, when Jesus calls all those who are weary and heavy burdened and tells us that he will give us rest. It's a short and simple message, but it's one that can take a while to sink in. Words are important. We can't share the good news without them. But of course we know that sharing good news goes well beyond just speaking and talking. It's not only a matter of words, but of action. As we heard from the word of God from Matthew 5.16 this morning, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So how can we live a life of good news? Perhaps just as Jesus entered the world, we should start by being present in the afflictions of others. To participate in the healing of those around us and indeed the healing of all creation. There are stories on our streets and many will make us feel uncomfortable. Are we willing to enter in? Are we willing to go to those on the margins? Many others still have been hit particularly hard during this era of COVID and in more ways than one. Isolation and loneliness are at an all-time high. And as we continue to point back to the Beatitudes, let us also be a comfort to those who are in mourning. The good news of Jesus is truly for the whole world. There isn't a human being outside the scope of God's love. Talk about messages that need to sink in. There isn't a human being outside the scope of God's love. No situation so dark that the light of Jesus can't penetrate it. So let us put the light on its stand.
Let us be that city on a hill. And for you, my friend, may you know that there is hope for you today. Amen. We, uh, we do have a time for reflection. I almost forgot. And the questions are up here. Some questions that you might reflect on both now and uh, during the week. What good news is Jesus giving to me? How is Jesus calling me to share good news with the people around me? And perhaps we might spend some time this week reflecting on how the incarnation is good news to a specific group of people. Maybe in our lives, maybe across the globe. We'd like to give a few minutes now for some opening reflections. Thank you.